This week on Punch Mountain. Do you play roulette? No? How about ketchup? You like ketchup? Well, guess what? Always bet on 57. Jump out the window of your plastic surgeon's office because we're watching Passenger 57. Punch Mountain starts now. Hello and welcome to Punch Mountain, the podcast where we review action movies one by one to discover the definitive ranking of action movies. Not determined by us, but by the action gods themselves. We don't make the mountain, we just climb it. My name is Mac Blake, and I'm joined as always by your podcast captain. He doesn't let any terrorists on board because he makes them into friends. David Hotta, how are you doing? Captain Hot Tub, I'm doing quite well. Good to see you again. Oh, uh, good to see you as well. Oh my goodness, David. Speaking of captains, uh, we're, we're watching a, a movie about a plane, and those usually have them. That's right. Wake up Herbie Villachey because the plane is coming. We're watching Passenger 57 this week. Oh, speaking of, there's a movie coming out with uh, Gerard Butler. So <laughs> look out, Redbox fans. And also, what is his name? Uh, Mike Coulter. That's right. T- TV's Luke Cage. And uh, that movie is just called Plane. How do you get there, really? Like, Plane or the second thing? But let me ask you this. When you see movies that are bad, <laughs> like bad action movies, do you, because of this podcast, are you like, oh, our paths will cross at some point? Pretty much, yeah. I- I'm looking forward to seeing Plane. Don't get me wrong. That was the part of the appeal of this show was to open myself up to like, oh, yay, now I get to watch the entire Has Fallen trilogy. And like, Oh, I thought about that movie. I thought about those movies today. Hey, there you go. <laughs> I was wondering, should Gerard Butler get his due? <laughs> okay, well, see, that's a very interesting question because he had his due with 300. Like, that was the star turn. And then, like, to get a second chance, I, I think he's good where he is. I think the Has Fallen are, is right in his wheelhouse. David, I'm not talking about his due in the general public. I'm talking about his due on this podcast. Oh, then yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're we're, we're overdue, perhaps, for a Gerard Butler. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> we're not above or below a Gerard Butler. He's got a sh- Okay. Uh, so we're, we watched Exit 57, Exit 57. I wish. What a fun uh, sketch show that was with <laughs> yeah. Stephen Colbert and Amy Sedaris. No, we watched Passenger 57, David. The movie that turned Wesley Snipes into an action hero. What are your opening thoughts on this movie? Man, I'm telling you what, watching this thing, I'm surprised this pilot didn't get picked up because this is one slam-bang episode of television. This should have this should have premiered right after the Super Bowl, but it turns out it was released in theaters, which probably was a bigger mistake than they realized. I'm excited to talk about this movie with you because I feel like you enjoyed it more than I did, and I'd rather ride your wave of energy than get sucked down with my wave of energy. So what are your opening thoughts going into this one? Ooh, boy. I <laughs> wanted to like it a whole lot. I mean, because look, Wesley Snipes had like an amazing two-year run because in this movie came out when, 92? 92, that's right. In 91, he made Jungle Fever, New Jack City. And then in 92, I think this movie came out like uh, earlier in the year. Oh, no, no, no. This movie came out like into the year. Earlier in the year, White Men Can't Jump came out. And I haven't seen the movie in a while, but if memory serves, that movie slaps. That movie rules. Yeah, I saw that a few years ago. Well, I mean, even extending this out, he had a really good hold on the early 90s, going all the way up to Tu Wong Fu, really, in 95. Like, I know that's not an action movie, but just the star turn he had, the momentum that he rode in the early 90s was really impressive. And I thought this was going to be the centerpiece of that. And I might have been wrong. Blade 2 is one of my favorite movies of all time, or favorite action movies of all time. And uh, I was like, let's go back to where it started. Let's go to Passenger 57. And I, I, I thought, you know, I was uh, maybe I overplayed it in my head. But yeah, it's this movie definitely has a super clumsy script, and we will talk about it. But yes, Wesley Snipes, however, he's so good in this movie that every moment he is not on screen, this movie sucks. And that is uh, 
both a compliment and a curse for this movie. I'll say this about the movie overall, is no one checked on anything in this movie. It got, yeah. No one did any research. No one was like, wait, is this how planes actually work? Is this how the federal agents actually work? Is this how anything actually works? No one did those checks. And so it just, it feels like a movie written by someone who just watched a weekend of, uh, you know, cable action movies, and then they turn this thing out. This feels like it was written with a series of transparencies. Like someone just laid one transparency over the other to build elements of this movie. Like it doesn't, there's no passion to, oh, okay, well, let's just get into this fucking thing already. <laughs> hey, David, well, real quick, before we board a hijack plane, let's hijack this conversation about that plane, and let's make this conversation about friendship. David, how are you? I'm doing all right. You know, nothing eventful. How are, how are you doing? I am good. I am being uh, strangled right now by uh, Austin's uh, allergens. I live in Austin, Texas. When I first moved in here, I had no allergies. And Austin has a reputation for uh, having a lot of, uh, you know, cedar and whatever in the air. And uh, right now it is um, it's uh, bashing me about the, the throat and lungs. Is this affecting everybody or is this affecting just you? I don't know about everybody. It's affecting a lot of people because that's the thing like i don't have i'm not genetically allergic to cedar it just is something that is so in the air that even if you're not allergic to it uh, it affects you but yeah so what i'm trying to say is don't move here this this place sucks way ahead of you champ all right david enough friendly chit chat is it time mac grab your boarding passes because we're going in all right passenger 57 what's your history with this movie david not a very long one uh i knew this movie existed i ignored this movie for a very long time I ended up watching this in my teenage years, and you'll never guess what got me to watch this, Mac. It was Elizabeth Hurley, and I had forgotten about it immediately after I watched it, and then doing this show, it was a perfect opportunity. Yeah, like you said, you know, this movie had a better memory in my mind, because in my mind, it was always bet on black, the movie. It was just going to be 84 minutes of that kind of badass energy. So I was very excited to watch this movie again, but it turns out I might have been right the first time. <laughs> Uh, what is your history with Passenger 57, Mac? Well, I, I thought I had seen it before. I was pretty sure, but maybe not because uh, at some point in this movie, they leave the airplane, and I do not remember that at all. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's when I went to you know uh, uh, heat up a couple uh, Pop-Tarts when I was a kid while watching us on TV or something, but I don't know. But that line, Always Bet on Black, which was definitely in the commercials and the trailer for this movie, that was like an instant classic line. It's iconic. It, it could be parodied. We like say it in school. You know, I don't. I don't know what the the context was. Uh, I don't. I'm not even sure I knew what roulette was when I heard <laughs> Wesley Snipes ask a terrorist question mark if he if he plays roulette. But yeah, that's the thing. I wanted to do this movie because I was sitting. I was driving, David. I was sitting in a car while I was moving. I, I was thinking about action movies as I am wont to do, and I was thinking about how Van Damme, Jean Claude. I think that's how you say his name. That he, unlike Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone, that he actually could fight. Like, he had some sort of martial arts training. Whereas Stallone and Schwarzenegger were just, they tended to be just like punchers, right? For the most part. And then I was thinking, like, you know who else could fucking fight? And you know who else can actually goddamn act? Wesley goddamn Snipes. And I was like, we need to do a Wesley Snipes movie because he's got the goods. But then, and I was like, yeah, oh, perfect. The movie The Turn of an Action Hero, Passenger 57. But yes, that is my history with it. I was excited to see it. Was my excitement at the same level when we finished? We shall find out. <laughs> David, just a level set here. Give people a little background information. Why don't you read the description of the back of the box for this thing? I shall. I'll do it right now. He's an ex-cop with a bad mouth and a bad attitude. For the terrorists on Flight 163, he's very bad news. 
The safest way to travel is by air, the FAA says, but the FAA never figured the risk with Charles Rain on board. He's the Reign of Terror, the insane mastermind behind four recent terrorist attacks. Soon there will be a fifth, and that's bad news for passengers on Flight 163. But there's good news, too. The man in seat 57. Wesley Snipes, New Jack City, White Man Can't Jump Boiling Point, earns his action hero wings in this exciting dead-on airborne adventure that packs a wallop. <laughs> Sorry. Gotta give it up for Wallop. Wallop's pretty good. It's like a Don Knotts movie. Yeah. He plays John Cutter, an undercover airline security operative who steps into the lavatory and re-emerges to discover Rain, Bruce Payne, and his gang have taken control. Cutter's next move is clear. Do or be done to. Does he ever? Oh my god, it's still going. <laughs> Cutter takes on hijackers in air, battles them on the ground after a forced landing, and breaks out some of the most lethal moves you'll ever see. If it's action you want, Passenger 57 is the only way to fly. 1992, 84 minutes, directed by Kevin Hooks, rated R. Oh my goodness. God, this is an 84-minute movie, and uh, 60 of those minutes I spent reading this thing. <laughs> Authored by the staff of Sky Mall. This thing reads like they're selling you the movie long after it's been relevant. Yeah, also, he's an ex-cop with a bad mouth. and a, When does he have a bad mouth? He doesn't. He's the most... Like, there's no personality to him. That's what I'd argue. Like, I don't get a single read off of him in this movie. He's just focused, David. All right? <laughs> okay. Speaking of by the way, Rated R is a real shocker to me, as the uh, violence in this movie is very PG-13. Very much so. I think it might just be for language if they had that sort of description. Oh, it. Mate, it does have a bad mouth. I've, <laughs> back of the box copywriter is taking me to the back of the box school. All right, David, how does this movie start? Well, we're going to begin with an opening credit sequence that ends up being the most tense thing in the movie. Once you realize this is an 84-minute movie and the credits are still going. But that's okay, because thankfully this movie has music by bass virtuoso Stanley Clark. I would describe this music, David, as uh, what people think of when they are doing like a porn music imitation. Mm -hmm. Except sinister. But yeah, David, what could be more thrilling than just a flat, two-dimensional parade of uh, X-rayed images? Not X-rated images, David, but images of items that have gone through an airport X-ray machine. Yes, of course. Thrilling stuff. It's how we get to learn that this is uh, Charles Rain and his stuff being passed through the metal detector. I'm going to say this a lot during this episode. This, this music, this everything, feels like a TV show. It feels like... Homicide, New York Undercover, one of those like 90s urban kind of shows. Oh, David, because it 100% sounds like, yeah, the first draft of the Law and Order theme. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see. We'll hear Stanley Clark throughout the movie. So looking at the credits, Wesley Snipes, top build, good for him. It's going to be his star vehicle. Tom Sizemore is in this. I did not realize that. So right away, I'm thinking, hell yeah, this movie is going to be nuts. I can't wait to see Wesley Snipes and Tom Sizemore unleashed. Let's go. Uh, yeah, we, we go from like a photo negative of Charles Payne's eyes, and then we get a close-up of that, and then we cut to a similar-shaped uh, operating light, and then we cut to uh, the real life, I guess, Charles Rain, his eyes being illuminated by this light. Uh, why? Uh, no reason, because, you know, whoever was editing that was probably like, oh, this... This is really cool. Yeah, but it, if it doesn't mean anything, what's the fucking point? But anyway, nearly three minutes later, after those opening credits, we are in an operating room, right? Where we finally meet criminal mastermind Charles Rain, played by Bruce Payne. Uh, he was a warlock in Warlock 3, David. That fits. God almighty, that fits. Okay. 
He's awaiting his latest facial reconstruction surgery. How tough is Charles Rain? Well, he refuses anesthesia for surgery, saying, there will be no pain. Except Bruce Payne. He probably muttered on the set. That probably did that a lot. Meanwhile, we see some SWAT vans pull up outside, ready to rain and rain and rain on rain's rain of terror. So right away, David, here we get the first hint that this movie uh, did not check on anything, right? Yes. The SWAT vans pull up. And the head of the SWAT goes, you know the drill. Be very, very careful. <laughs> Which is like, <laughs> that is not how cops talk, okay? That's, that, that's not how they talk. Also, David, I know this is this opening scene is taking place in, in Florida, but there's no fucking way that doctors agree to do surgery without anesthetic. This is not some, like, back alley uh, mob doctor doing this thing, right? It's not the guy that operated on the Joker. These are, like, in a hospital in Miami. And if the guy goes, it, he's like, no, no anesthetic, then the doctor should be like, and we're done. Yeah, exactly. Because, like, I don't want to get sued. You're not. It's almost like it's done for for the result of the doctor going, cool. Like, you, like you're not impressing the doctor. Just take the anesthesia. But, you know, his whole point is, like, pain is nothing to me. You know, there is no pain. But, ay, 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 this movie already. Yeah, he's, we're already, the movie's already telling us this guy's a badass, but he's also a cartoon character. But then he's sitting in this operating theater again. Like, this movie doesn't quite know what things look like or should feel like. So we just stuck this in an office somewhere. Yeah, he's not wearing uh, a gown. He's wearing scrubs. Yeah. And also sneakers. It's outpatient facial reconstruction surgery. But then he's sitting there getting ready. The clock strikes 12, which must be kill o'clock where Rain is from because he goes on a doctor slitting window leaping out of rampage. He lands safely on a fraction of an umbrella, nearly ruining everyone's afternoon Pepsi and leading police on a chase through the streets before finally encountering something not even a criminal mastermind like Charles Rain can escape, a sparklet struck. David, this unfortunately was my first markout moment. <laughs> this window jump is fucking insane. <laughs> the fact that he's like, oh shit, cops, and then jumps out of a, what, three, four story window? Yes. And lands on a, um, <laughs> you know, like a, a sun umbrella. Yeah, a portion of it. He lands on like a quadrant of the sun umbrella and bounces off of that part of it. Yeah, and he knocks over some people. And then when he's leaving, he pushes over those same people, <laughs> which I thought was really, it was probably honestly like an unintentional bad edit. But I thought it was really funny that somebody's like, fuck, someone just landed on me. No, he shoved me. Like, I don't, <laughs> I just thought that was so over the top and it got, it got me. And so I was like, oh, hell yeah. I, at this moment, I'm excited about this movie still. <laughs> I, I get that. Like, I wanted to like it. Just something in the execution felt off to me. Like, it didn't really have that punch. And then just like, man, at least if you're going to jump onto an umbrella and survive, have it be like a cartoonishly large, like, I want to hear the burring of yeah. like, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, but then, but then David, he, he eludes everybody. He's done in by a couple of water bottles. Golly. Oh, the, just a water truck? Like, you have an opportunity to do a high-speed car chase to, you know, you're, uh, you're chasing this terrorist, and the movie can only afford an overturned water truck. Already, this movie feels cheap. I'm a little, I'm on the defensive already. Yeah, because he sees a three-story drop, and he's like, I don't feel any pain. But then a, a couple, you know, water cooler jugs, and he's like, oh! Like, I'm overwhelmed. Like, it just <laughs> does not track. But hey, who gives a fuck? Because we're on an airplane. And we meet our hero, John Cutter, played by Wesley Snipes. But wait, Mac, he, he's not our hero? He pulls a gun and takes Marty, played by Alex Datcher, hostage. But wait, David, she gets out of it with some self-defense. She saves the day. But wait, it was all for a flight safety class. But wait. Anyway, Cutter is pulled away. 
from his abuse of this poor airline employee by Sly Del Vecchio. Not Sly Del Vecchio, David. Sly Del Vecchio. I see. Played by Tom Sizemore, uh, who wants to offer Cutter a cushy counterterrorism position with International Airlines. But no dice, because Cutter's out of the game. Okay, I had a lot of problems with this scene, and I just recently remedied them prior to recording this, because... I was under the impression, you know, I mean, the movie's trying to misdirect you briefly. It's just trying to have some fun and make you think, or make, make you not understand what's going on. Is yeah. he a terrorist? But it turns out it's this, you know, instructional session. He's he's teaching the flight attendants at this airline how to be, how to handle terrorism the right way. So John Cutter, played by Wesley Snipes, he's a safety instructor. And so he's like, I'll do a scenario where someone pulls a gun and, and uh, you react. And I guess you're, what, he's, what she's supposed to do is not do anything, right? I guess. But instead, she improvises and assaults him. And then everyone else in the little fake plane applauds, which uh, calmed down everyone. And then he's like, what are you doing? And then they go back and forth. And it's this extended like pissing contest between these two. And I don't know why it's happening. Like She's like so invested on doing this her way. But then also... Cutter is deeply offended that she's not following his... It's it's something. Yeah, this movie does a good job of sort of explaining Cutter's attitude in a scene coming up. But yeah, as far as like the dynamic, as far as establishing this relationship that is supposed to carry us through the rest of the movie and to start off as a combative relationship without any sort of sexual tension or any sort of you know interplay there, it, it it's, a, it's a poor note to start on. Yeah, the, the script here tells us that John Cutter is wound too tight. And it tells us that Marty is not well-written. But then we also see Tom Sizemore. We get his first appearance in this movie. He looks young and he looks great and he looks lucid like you could do, you know, he'll follow your finger, that sort of thing. Mac, I was just watching True Romance the other day. That movie was in 1993. That's a year after this movie. What the hell happened in 1993? I know I'm referring to a movie that we're not watching right now, but like, man, oh man, he aged so quickly. It was interesting to see him baby-faced in this movie. Yeah, I was the youngest ever seen Tom Sizemore. Tom Sizemore troubled history with some accusations and a lot of addiction problems. So maybe it was that time spin the the cocaine shores of Miami for filming this movie that he just he uh, got on the wrong wrong train there. Yeah, but Slide Del Vecchio is, uh, he's like, hey, Cutter, calm down. Hey, uh, how about that flight attendant? She reminds me of Lisa. And it's like, oh, okay, who's Lisa? And then later as they're walking, Slide Del Vecchio is like, put yourself out there and be ready to love again. I'm sorry about your ex-wife, Lisa, now that she's dead. Wait, what the fuck? So Lisa is dead? His wife is dead. And he's like, hey, that lady reminds me of your dead wife. Like that earlier comment was like, oh, okay, I guess we're going to find out who Lisa is. But if the Lisa is a corpse, shut the fuck up, Sly Del Vecchio. Also, what a like, hey, that looks just like your dead wife. Maybe you should smash that lady. Maybe you could have her face the other way and have her put that scrunchie in her hair that looks just like Lisa's. Like, what are you doing, Sly Del Vecchio? Yeah, too specific, David. What are you doing, Sly Del Vecchio? <laughs> Meanwhile, rain, cuckoo, lightning strike. Charles Rain meets with his attorney and gives us a little bit of backstory. This guy claims to have committed over three airline bombings. Four, David. Good night. Rain goes psycho on his attorney in an attempt to prove he's not insane. And so begins the chant that captured the hearts of 1992 moviegoers everywhere. Charles Rain is not insane. Charles Rain is not insane. Come on, everybody, do it at home. Yeah, he makes his his, his lawyer chant this, and then he's like, again, like he he's like, Let's just I need it needed to wash over me. This scene uh, sucks, David. <laughs> <laughs> this scene's preposterous. Not preposterous. There's so many other opportunities to be preposterous. This scene's not very good. 
So it's it's Rain talking with his attorney, and his attorney's kind of like, oh, they get you know they got you up against the wall, they got you dead to rights, and you know Rain's cool as a cucumber. He's like, where are they transporting me? Los Angeles, cool. I'll be ready for them. But the attorney's going over Rain's backstory. He's kind of establishing why we should think this guy is terrifying, why we should be scared of him as the villain of the movie. And he says, the authorities already have you for for two bombings. And Rain goes, I'm responsible for double that. So you're like, okay, four? Like, we're not, these are off-screen bombings, and this movie is being cheap about that. Like, say 10, say 12. Let our imaginations run wild. You don't have to pay for any of this. Yeah, they're leaning on real thick in this scene because at some point the lawyer says, uh, I'm afraid the most we can hope for is that I claim insanity for you. Given your childhood history, we should be able to make that stick. And then Charles Rain freaks out and he's like, never mention my childhood. I was like, whoa, this guy's got a troubled past. He's bad news, David. That's how you know. That's how you know someone's bad if they just look at their childhood and it's automatic. But yeah, he's like, they got John for two airline bombings. He's like, I've done twice that many, four. Still, four airline bombings? Everyone's reacting like airline bombings aren't that bad. Like the fact that everyone is like so casual with this dude and he's responsible for the murders of hundreds of people. Why isn't he on his own fucking flight? Again, this movie does not check how things actually work. Yeah, why is he not in some sort of Hannibal Lecter contraption if you're putting him on the thing that he knows better than anybody else in the world? All right, let's talk about Charles Rain or Chucky Rain for a second. He's supposed to be a terrorist, right, David? Does he have a cause? Does he want money? They never say. In fact, what happens here, I think this is kind of just a, a product of what's going on because like violent, in the United States, right, violent crime rose pretty significantly pretty steadily from like the 70s on to the the 90s where it peaked and you start to get this like myth of like the super predator like this theory that like there's new portions of our younger generations are just complete sadists like good has been replaced by bad uh, in their brains and so whoever's writing the script just could not resist trying to make him a psycho they like couldn't decide between like psycho and terrorist and they just made him both and it does not work because he has the behavior of a psycho, but he's doing the actions of a terrorist. And it just seems, it, it never explains what the fuck he wants. A lot of this movie, it feels to me, got rewritten to death. And you'll you'll see this on Wikipedia and you'll see this in like the trivia for this movie or behind the scenes of this movie. This was supposed to be something else entirely. This was supposed to be more of a, more of Middle Eastern terrorist kind of thing. And then the producers were like, no, let's not make it that. I think in the rewriting process, they didn't know how to, give a cause to somebody that they didn't want to politicize. So they just made him a psycho. And by doing that, you kind of lose the thread of who the fuck this guy is. Yeah. I mean, maybe he's doing it for money or something like that. I mean, look, I think Die Hard and Silence of the Lambs just ruined a lot of scripts that came after it. (laughs) Because people are like, oh, we want a clever, like a chess master villain. And it's like, okay, but then he's got to be making... What's his motivation for being a Izzy? It's like, no, nah, we don't we don't care about that. He's just mm-hmm. he's crazy, but he still wants to crash planes be, to make a point uh that he's real smart, I guess. That's basically the point here is that he's he's smarter than everyone and he proves this by crashing some airplanes or blowing them up. He's crashing planes as as a distraction to get away from crashing planes, Mac. Or maybe a distraction from his rough childhood, which is barely mentioned ever again in the movie. So Cutter spends a quiet night at home, decorated like the storage attic of a world market, a cost plus world market meditating about his wife Lisa's murder. But instead of fighting off some convenience store robber in a cool wife-saving action sequence, instead Cutter beats up some boxing equipment. Yeah, so here we see what happened to Lisa, is that Cutter and Lisa were at a convenience store, and they're just kind (laughs) of having a good time. And then this completely normal dude walks in, decides to rob the place, 
Cutter tries to subdue the dude and fails. And as punishment, the criminal here uh, shoots Lisa point blank in the head while he's holding onto her. Yikes. This is some cold-blooded shit. Like, you know, it's Cutter trying to stop a robber. The robber is getting away. And he's like, you shouldn't have even tried to stop me. Like, this is like him spiking the ball after the touch. And I was like, you really didn't have to do that. So, yeah, no, I was I was affected by this. That was some harsh shit. The criminal, you know, he's holding her right in front of, he's using her as a human shield, right? And he's got the gun inches from his own face when he pulls the trigger, which is pretty psycho. My only problem with the scene, David, is there was absolutely no effort to cast an appropriate person here. How do you mean? Well, this dude, he looks like just a dude. He looks like a completely normal guy that you would see like an Applebee's. He's not like <laughs> tweaking. He's not doesn't have a crazy look in his eye. Seriously, I think he's wearing like a, a button-up flannel shirt or plaid shirt or something like that. And so the fact this guy's like, yeah, I'll bathe in your wife's blood. It was like, whoa, what the fuck? It just kind of came out of nowhere. Also, Wesley Snipes in the movie Blade also has a meditation scene. So it makes me wonder, is that something Wesley Snipes is into? Like, oh, my heroes need to meditate. Or if that's just a coincidence. Something we'll keep an eye on as we continue our journey up the mountain. But I'll tell you what, Mac. Let's cruise our way over to some fancy country club. Let's listen to some Stanley Clark. Cutter is going to meet with Sly and airline president Stuart Ramsey, played by Bruce Greenwood. Cutter impresses Ramsey and is offered a VP position with the airline. Cutter is not thrilled, and poor him. He has to be flown to Los Angeles. Oh, by the way, Rain is being transported on this flight, but no reason to tell Cutter because he's the incoming head of counterterrorism and not the acting head of counterterrorism. So when the opening credits rolled or whatever, and I was you know looking at the uh, the cast, I was like, oh yeah, Time Sizemore. I was excited to see two names on there. One was Elizabeth Hurley. Like, what did she look like in 1992? The other was Bruce Greenwood. And maybe I'm tipping my hand here as I'm sexually attracted to Bruce Greenwood. Yeah, because he's a dude who always, he's like a silver fox every time I see him. But in this movie, uh, he's just kind of a, a greasy Pat Riley 80s guy in this thing. So Cutter's getting hired by this airline, by Bruce Greenwood. He's the president. And he, he's like, I want you to be the VP of this new counterterrorism unit that we're starting. Meanwhile... They have Charles Rain on one of their flights, and they do not know. So it becomes very clear very quickly. No wonder they need to hire someone. They need someone to just kind of control all this, maybe file some paperwork and just pass along some info when necessary because they're letting a lot of stuff slip without him. Speaking of letting stuff slip, so, David, this was, of course, pre-9-11 where you did not need a ticket to walk up to the gate. And so Sly accompanies Cutter pretty much all the way almost onto the airplane, even though, you know, he's not getting on the plane. And so they both go through security. And the female security guard here, it's this pre-TSA, so I don't know what we call her. You know, she's uh, eye-fucking uh, Wesley Snipes. And it goes to the point of when she's patting him down, groping his crotch. Mm-hmm. And then when Sly Del Vecchio and uh, Cutter are walking away, Sly's like, how do you do that, man? You got to tell me how to, how do you do that? Cutter says, it's a black thing. Which, David... I told you this movie does not check on how things actually are. And one of those things, David, is the black experience, okay? David, it's very clear here that I'm not the expert on the African-American experience, specifically because my skin is almost clear, translucent in the light of the day. I don't think it's a black thing to get uh, sexually uh, molested going through security. Prove me wrong, Punch Mountain listeners, please. You know, there's also a moment in this same sequence where it feels like this movie was not written for Wesley Snipes, where he walks through the metal detector and he gets kind of pulled aside to get frisked. And he goes, 
you know, it's always the guys who look like they'd be trouble who don't get stopped. And I'm like, where are you going with this Wesley Snipes? So, uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure this was for him. Yeah, and earlier in the movie, he's like, uh, the only people that have never had a, a problem with terrorists are the Israelis. They don't even let them aboard. I'm like, who's them? Who's <laughs> fucking them, John Cutter? <laughs> Jesus Christ. But David, you're absolutely right. Here's a, here's a, a problematic thing. So the screenwriter, uh, this is in the Wikipedia page. I don't even like, uh, I don't know a dude, right? It says this film was based on a script by Stuart uh, Raffle. And Raffle says, it was originally written as an action movie for like a Clint Eastwood type, is what it says, where the terrorist hijacks a plane and takes the passengers to Iran. And the Raffle says, the head of the studio said to me, if I make that movie, they'll blow up the theaters. Well, cool, really cool. <laughs> so I did some rewrites for them for Warner Brothers who owned it. Then I got another picture and came back and it had become a black movie. Okay. All right. It feels a little slimy, especially because, I mean, there's there's things in this movie and we'll get to them later. It's like, okay, he is encountering some Southern cops and they seem to be a racist to him. But then the ending of the movie, it doesn't feel like it actually like tries to carry through any sort of realism of the black American experience. Which the black, I was not, this sounds way too highbrow for this dumb podcast. But what we're trying to say here, David, is this script is shaky. And whoever originally wrote it, uh, yikes. So Rain boards the flight with his FBI escorts. And we also meet an obvious bad guy plant named Forget, played by Michael Horace. Actually, David, if you uh, remember from the movie, the name is, last name is French. It's actually Forget. Well, don't worry, Mac, because we can Forget about him soon enough. Everyone on board is being greeted a little too warmly by Queen of the Fuck Me Eyes, Sabrina, played by Elizabeth Hurley. We also meet flight attendant Vincent, played by Mark McCauley. Well, we don't, actually, but he has the kind of face and head of someone who will eventually be revealed to be a bad guy, so let's go ahead and meet him now. I would say that Sabrina was flashing trust me eyes, David, but that's uh, that maybe is more of a reflection on uh, my uh, past sexual inadequacies. <laughs> Mac, Liz Hurley in this movie, I'm calling it now, she's the MVP. I can't take my eyes off of her. And part of the reason is she is horny in every scene she's in. It doesn't matter who she's sharing the screen with. It's like her acting coach told her, just smolder. Just smolder over everybody you see, and and she does it to my satisfaction. You know, when you see the way she's acting, it's like, oh, she's a bad guy, too. It's pretty clear. But her bad guy instructions for blending in were just to flirt aggressively with everybody. And it's really like a testament to the dude who wrote this, saying the quiet part loud. You know what I mean? Like, revealing, like, how dumb dudes actually are. They're like... Hey, if uh, it was this lady hitting on me, she can't be bad. You know what I mean? If the Baroness from uh, Cobra, David, was like, oh, is that the new tie today? You'd be like, yes, it is. This Baroness is of good quality. I feel like the theory that was posed in Charlie's Angels is going to have to become part of the Punch Mountain lexicon because nobody perceives Liz Hurley as a threat when she's very clearly a threat. Yes. Now, speaking of obvious threats, uh, there's a little kid who has a quote-unquote cute interaction with mass murderer Charles Rain because they're kind of like doing little finger guns at each other. Pew, 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 pew. But let's talk about these FBI guys who are hanging out with Charles Rain for a second. I'm not going to miss them very soon. Liz Hurley, as, as Sabrina, the flight attendant, is going around. Oh, do you all need anything before the flight? Would you like some wine? And the FBI guy, whose actor's name I won't bother to look up, but he watches her walk away and then he goes, I just found my next ex-wife. And it's like, <laughs> what do you think about Guys like this who just put stuff out there that makes you immediately not like them. Well, first of all, again, he's guarding a mass murderer. No one wants to hear your fucking jokes. But also, <laughs> yeah, this this has happened a few times on this podcast. We need to come up with a term for this, David. Uh, he's the FBI agent that is guarding the villain of this movie. Of course he's going to get murdered, right? Mm -hmm. Are we going to feel bad about his murder? Yeah, we might, unless he says something shitty. 
So this is a character basically by his actions revealing that he sucks, therefore giving us permission to enjoy or at least not mind his death. I what do you what, do you have a term for that? I want to say he's like cashing in a scumbag pass or something like that. Maybe like that makes me think he's okay to be a scumbag. I. I, I'm I'm not married to this, but I, I'd say he signed his victim permission slip. Oh, I like. That. He's like I'm I'm allowing myself to be murdered, uh, guilt free. So is it is it that part or is it the part where he's talking with Charles Rain about his father? <laughs> I mean, it's still just like this guy's clueless because something comes up about like uh, dads, and then the uh, FBI goes, "Is your father still alive?" Like real casual to Charles <laughs> Rain, which makes me think: Does this was this FBI guy told who he's guarding? And then I forget what Charles Rain says, but it's something very dark about his, my dad, blah, blah, who gives a shit. But it's just as like, dude, shut the fuck up. I, just, I mean, if that scene kept going, it, it was one line away from being great, though, David. Because if they had kept that conversation going and the FBI goes, murder, huh? What's that like? Like, and then that would have been <laughs> fucking amazing. But he stopped just short of going like full ridiculous with it. See, because I, I think, yeah, there is an opportunity there where, you know, obviously the FBI guy has to know who he's escorting. So... If he gives us, the audience, an indication that he knows that Rain's dad is dead and that he killed him and that the the escort is just being a shit to him, but uh, it feels wasted and I'll be glad he's dead. But David, there's somebody else of note on this flight. Marty, the flight attendant from earlier who interrupted the airplane counterterrorism class, she is the flight attendant on this flight and she's assigned to John Cutter's section, no less. Oh, this was the thing that Sly Del Vecchio was talking about. Oh, that's so awkward. It's like meeting your teacher outside of school. You don't want to be in the same grocery aisle as them. Well, this flight gets in the air, David, including Elizabeth Hurley. Uh, Cutter and Marty continue to not get along. Cutter is uncomfortable flying, so Marty decides, you know what's a good idea? I'm going to tell some poor, clueless old white granny that Cutter is Arsenio Hall. That actually happens in this movie. Yes. Meanwhile, Rain flirts with flight attendant Sabrina, and of course she's into it, David, because you know what else she's into? Evil. <laughs> Mac, this Arsenio Hall bit, this is no good. This is no good business. Yeah, this is the fucking worst. Marty uh, sits this old lady down next to Cutter, and she's like, hey, I told this old lady about you, and she's excited to meet you. And this old lady, who's a terrible actor, uh, and she's like, uh, I'm so excited, I can't wait to tell everyone I'm sitting next to you. And I was like, oh, because he's you know the head of airline security, that's interesting. We watch you on TV every night. I'm glad you yelled at Madonna that one time or whatever. Your name's Arsenio Hall or some, whatever. I forget how she says it. This was cringe city. Well, it, it's it's cringe city because it doesn't even really particularly add up. So you, again, I'm going to overthink the tiniest parts of this fucking movie. So Marty walks the, the old lady, the grandma over to Cutter. So did Marty plant the seed in her head? Because the granny obviously watches Arsenio. She knows things that make you go, hmm? She knows the Madonna interview. So did Marty say, hey, that's Arsenio Hall. Go talk to him. Or, I mean, th this doesn't add up to me. It just, it like you said, it feels like an opportunity to shoehorn a really shitty joke in there. Yeah, I just checked my notes, David, that I took while watching this movie. And for this part, I wrote in all caps, fuck you. <laughs> Cutter gets up and he's like, hey, you know, like basically like, let's clear the air here. You know, I'm I'm uncomfortable on flights. Actually, I'm, I'm not. I wasn't pressing my flight attendant call button to harass you. I just need some aspirin. And he's like, "Look, can you just do me a favor? Can you just check on me from time to time, David? I'm going to ignore this line because if I actually consider this line in with the character, it just doesn't work. Imagine an adult saying, "Can you check on me, please, from time to time, please?" In an airplane? Fuck off. 
So you're saying John Cutter makes a decision that's inconsistent with his role as an action badass. I'll keep that in mind, Mac. I'll keep that in mind. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Meanwhile, let's uh, well, let's check in on, on Charles Rain. He's about to order dinner with his FBI escorts. And so Sabrina comes by. They're flirting. And she's like, uh, champagne before dinner. And the escort's like, no, I'm on duty. And Charles Rain's like, mm, chill that champagne. We'll celebrate later. And Sabrina's into it for some godforsaken reason. The FBI escort orders chicken. And then Rain's like, hmm, that figures. Like, I'm not allowed to order chicken? Fuck you. Is the joke there that he's chicken? Yes, of course. Yeah, that's my understanding of it. So, but the joke then really is he's a cannibal, I guess? It, it, I think it's a takes one to know one kind of thing. It's like, uh. oh, of course you do. Yeah. But then he follows it up with steak. Like, you're no man. You order chicken. I'm a man. I know what it's like to have juicy meat in my mouth. I'm the most macho guy here. Like, fuck you. You know, David, there was a big plagiarism lawsuit because the writers of the script suit, Jordan Peterson, who basically just <laughs> wrote down in character all of Charles Lane's dialogue and sells it as a book. But Mac, it's dinner time. But it also must be kill o'clock because Sabrina's killing the FBI escorts and freeing Rain. Thankfully, Cutter is tucked away in the john. Rain takes control of the cockpit and announces he has taken over the plane. Now it's the Rain plane, my main main. Insane! So Rain works his way up to the cockpit, right? And he, he busts open the cockpit. Again, this is pre-9-11, so you can do that. He pulls a gun on the three, three-man uh, pilot crew, and he goes, who's in charge? And then one pilot goes, me! And Rain instantly shoots him. And then he's like, ask again, who's in charge? And then, then the guy goes, oh, you are. And he's like, that's right. It's like, why did they have to solve a fucking uh, weird like logic problem like before you murder them or didn't murder them? Yeah, I the pressure on that second guy, because the third guy's sitting pretty. The third guy's going to figure it out after the second guy. But that second guy doesn't know how to guess this. It's like, well, technically I am. He killed my boss, but I think he, I think he wants to be. Yeah, no, I, I felt for the second guy in this one. I, I mean, look, if I was in that scenario, uh, I'm second in command, co-pilot, right? And terrorist busts in, terrorist, put that in quotes. Some useless psycho busts in. He's like, who's in charge? And the lead pilot goes, I am. And he shoots him. And then he goes, who's in charge? I would go, the dude you just shot. Yeah. Would he shoot me then? Because I don't get it. You know, we're losing people that can fly a plane. Or would he just, you know, like shoot the corpse of the pilot? I think he'd shoot the corpse of the pilot. I'd try to duck season rabbit season him into thinking like, oh, you got him right the first time. So Cutter's still in the air playing John, right? And he's it's time to make his first move out of the bathroom trying to place a mid-flight phone call. He tries, very tense scene with a credit card. <laughs> Cutter tries calling Sly, but is interrupted by some sort of salon model. Cutter overtakes this hair hunk, and it's a showdown between Cutter and Rain. We're only 32 minutes into this movie, and there's only 52 minutes left, David. What? We're already getting to the meat of it. <laughs> already the showdown. Golly, this sequence. Okay, let's break this thing down. First of all, Cutter's calling Sly. He, he wants to get somebody on the ground to know that this plane is being hijacked when he picks up that phone the first thing he says is i'm on a plane that's being hijacked right i mean because that that's what he has to, i mean if you're on a plane that's being hijacked you got to get that information out right away and that's what he does right mm-hmm. actually no david he does not do that he uh, he's like hi can i speak to slide del vecchio uh i don't know how to spell his last name he gets into some like dumb comedy routine and it's like say the words hijacked you son of a bitch but he does get sly on the phone really quickly like sly is in the middle of a meeting in the middle of a sentence and someone walks in and goes, Sly, there's a call for you. And he's like, oh, okay. Oh, by the way, who is it? Oh, it's John Cutter. Oh, that's good. Thank you. And like The phone call gets interrupted. This hair model, this this Chippendales dancer, comes in and takes Wesley Snipes. And Wesley Snipes' reaction 
is inconsistent with that of an action hero. He decides to like, I don't know who he insults more with this. I don't know if he insults the black community more or if he insults the homosexual community more with this performance that he does. Mac, do you have any thoughts on this one? Uh, Nope. But I will say that when Rain takes over the plane uh, in Spain, he has more bad guys like seated throughout the plane and they pop up and we've never seen him before. So this, yeah, this this bad guy who uh, Cutter is spying on, this uh, hair hair model. I don't. Do you remember seeing him in the earlier in the movie? I don't. No, I don't. Because of that hair, I feel like I would have noticed that from the onset. And in fact, like when you see him, everyone telegraphs this move. They're like, "Oh, his head's getting flushed in the toilet," because that's the perfect hair to flush down the toilet. Yeah, a better movie might have like shown us these characters, like the way it showed us Sabrina, or the way it showed us the fact that uh, uh, spoiler, uh, Mister Forget turned ended up being a bad guy as well. But yeah, there's like a couple other bad guys. The first time we see them is when they stood up holding a gun already bored by the hijacking. More of the the problem here with not figuring out whether Rain is a terrorist or some sort of psycho cult leader is when he takes control of the plane, he gets on the PA system and he's like, my staff has taken over the plane. He calls his crew his staff. It does make you wonder, why are they doing this? Are they freeing him for money? Are they freeing him and, you know, fighting and dying for him because they all believe in a cause? There's no explanation of it. I know with action movies, it's time to kick ass, take names, chew bubble gums, and chew bubble gums? Yeah, that's right. Multiple bubble gums. We don't necessarily, you know, like the movie John Wick, right? They killed his dogs. That's that's reason enough for him to go ham for, you know, five movies. Just one or two sentences. That's all I'm asking for with this character. Just explain his fucking deal, but they never do it besides the fact that he's crazy. Like a fox. Sorry, David, that was a really slow buildup. But yeah, we're, we're 32 minutes into this movie. We get the first showdown between Cutter and Rain. You get the sense that it's not even his personality or his charisma that's rallying the other bad people around him because he has the personality of a guy who has had four facelifts. Like there's no real emoting. There's no real, he plays it even keel. Like, I get that this movie wants him to be cool, but he's, like, he's frigid. You know, he's he's a little too cool. But I'll tell you what, I owe Cutter an apology. At the beginning of this movie, you know, he's talking about he doesn't want this VP job of counterterrorism. And in my mind, I'm thinking, this is just a desk job. You know, if you are if you don't want to take this job because you're still torn up about watching Lisa die, that's never going to happen again. When are you going to watch someone get shot in front of you? I owe him an apology. That happened on his first goddamn flight. Rain decides to show him who's boss, and by boss, he means who's the fucking psycho. And so he just shoots a passenger, again, point blank, gun to the head, no blood spray whatsoever. But yeah, he kills a passenger right in front of a Cutter to be like, hey, I'm a psycho, I'll kill as many people as, as you want. So instantly, there's a, probably a plane revolt. Nope, there's not. Anyway. Anyway, Cutter and Marty escape and take the elevator down to the galley where they meet Vincent. Turns out the evil-faced guy was evil after all. But can he fight? Heavens no! Cutter easily defeats Vincent and devises a plan to cut off the plane's fuel and get the plane to land ahead of schedule. We also learn that Rain, being on the plane, is a surprise to the airline. Cool. Time for Sly to take a copter out to Louisiana and save the day. Uh, We get a little bit of an action sequence here. Uh, I mean, there was a little bit of like punching, obviously, with the hair model. But with this one, it's like, you know, we have enough space to actually have a fight. Snipes right here. He's got some moves, man. I don't, you know, if if he hadn't... uh... I'm not sure if he's been in a movie up to this point where he showed that he could do some hand-to-hand combat, but the scene shows he knows his stuff. I believe this is going to be his first action movie. So yeah, you know, it's impressive, but it is it does feel one-sided. Like, I have yet to see a formidable foe 
for Wesley Snipes in this movie, especially for someone, like you said, he's very good. He's very athletic. He can do fight choreography. He can do these stunts, but we're not quite seeing it with this. We also uh, see some more of Rain's crew in this one, including a dude who looks a little bit like Bruce McCullough from Kids in the Hall. <laughs> and when we meet this guy, he's you know he, he's covering a portion of the airplane, right? So he's standing up. He's right in front of the passengers. He's got a gun on him, and his eyes are trained on a magazine? What? Just could not be more bored reading a magazine, not even looking at anyone while holding a gun to them. Again, it's like uh, his crew, who are they? Forget, maybe he seems like ex-military, but this dude seems like someone's brother. And look, I'm not going to make myself out to be some bigger hero than I am, but if I'm sitting on that flight and it's been hijacked and I'm looking around and I see one of the guys holding a magazine, I've got to be devising a plan at that point. Like, I can at least take that guy. You know, David, uh, you and I used to work at the same job. It was after September 11th, and it was my first time flying since that uh, the attacks. And I told my boss at the time, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going out of town for a little bit. And by our, our boss, of course, being our mutual friend, JJY, I was like, oh, you know, this is the first time I'll fly. Uh, first time I'm, I'm getting on an airplane since 9-11. <laughs> I don't know why that was relevant, but I told him. You know, we kind of a jokey relationship, and things got real quiet. And he looked at me, and he goes, if something happens, you'll stop it. And it was not a question. It was like, like he was... <laughs> Prepping me to get into battle or something like that. So yeah, David, if I was in a situation like Mark Wahlberg, I definitely would have uh, rushed that dude with a magazine. It would have been called Passenger uh, 58C or something like that or whatever. What a sobering moment, though. I would be walking around for the rest of the day looking for like a hero moment to be a part of, just to like live up to his view of me. I don't think it was his, I mean, I think his view of me was someone that needed to be told that. <laughs> but uh, guess what? Cutter is successful in dumping the fuel. So now it's time for an emergency landing. Cutter and Marty make plans to jump out of the plane, but Rain is onto them and makes a phone call where Cutter offers Rain some pretty pointed advice for being successful at roulette. Marty's jumping plans are thwarted by Forget, who holds her back. All right, Mac, let's talk about it. This is going to be the, this is going to be the, the line. This is going to be the scene. How, how do you feel this went? So Rain calls Cutter, and they're talking. Uh, there's a little bit of verbal sparring here, like, I'll kill this, you'll kill that. And then Cutter says to Rain, do you play roulette? And then uh, Rain gives the insane answer on occasion, which <laughs> I love, David. It's just, the, I mean, that's what, I mean, always bet on black is such a, that's a funny line. And the fact that Snipes delivers it with gusto is great. And yes, I did mark out here. As much as I knew it was coming, when he said it, I had a fucking grin to ear to ear on this thing. Underrated part of that is the on occasion, because if, if I was like a, a mastermind criminal and I was like, you better, I'm going to fucking kill you. And then the hero was like, do you ever play roulette? I'd be like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> or I'd be like, why? What does that have to do with anything? But instead this ever play roulette and he's like, hmm, yeah, on occasion, uh, you know, where is this going? Like, he's just like, he's intrigued. He comes a hair away from undercutting the line entirely because he really could have easily just been like, well, not professionally, but I do dabble. Like, yeah, exactly. to, you know, have a nice charming moment with him, but then it's like, uh, always bet on black. Like, it, it, I, he might as well have just asked him, like, how much do you weigh? Going back to that pitch black setup from a few weeks ago where it's like, oh, I see a 79 kilo chicken or whatever. I wanted to. I wanted to mark out so bad. I was really looking forward to this. It's the line from the movie. It's. You know, it's the thing that everybody remembers. But by the time we get here, I, I'm not I'm not as invested as I thought I would. It, it kind of fell flat. Yeah, I, I was I, I didn't mark out. Ah, uh, that's no worries. Do you ever play roulette? I don't like roulette. 
Well, my advice to you is I love it. I love roulette. <laughs> it just, you know, it, the odds are what they are, right? And it's just kind of the end of the night. I'm sick of playing blackjack. I just want a little bit of fuck you money, or maybe I just got a little money to burn. Uh, yeah, I was hoping for some more roulette talk. No, it's just, it's a great line. So Marty is captured, and they do slap her around a little bit because they're bad. Meanwhile, the low-flying airplane alerts all of the patrons of a nearby fair, including Chief Biggs, played by Ernie Lively, who springs into action because apparently low-flying planes are part of his jurisdiction. Uh, he springs into action with his men, and immediately they arrest the first black guy they see, Wesley Snipes. Biggs connects with Rain via a phone call, and Rain demands that he be allowed to take off or else. So let's talk about this arrest, huh? Let's talk about this arrest. I played it up. It was, it's not quite, I mean, it's definitely, they're racist, but they're not as racist as they made it seem because he was the only uh, stranger running away from this uh, evil airplane or something like that. I'm a little conflicted on this one because the immediate reaction, the gut reaction is, okay, he's in Louisiana. It's going to be some racist cops. And of course, they're going to treat him like crap. But seeing this movie from the point of view of Biggs, He's doing the best he can. Some guy just fell out of a fucking plane. Like, I at least want to take you in for questioning. I at least want to make sure you don't go anywhere. So I, I, I didn't quite feel the, the edge on this scene that I think the movie wanted me to. Yeah, I mean, he, he definitely could have been less, like, open to violence against this prisoner. He seemed like, like uh, you know, go ahead and punch him or whatever he says. Because of this fuel dump, the airplane is, is forced to land at this mom-and-pop airport, I guess. When uh, finally this county sheriff or whatever he is gets on the phone, Rain is waiting for him. But look, Rain, David, he's a criminal mastermind, right? He can easily manipulate this cop into getting exactly what he wants. And it's also uh, fortunate for Rain that this cop is the most easily manipulated cop in the history of cops. Because he's like, uh, I need some fuel. And he's like, oh, I'm not going to give you fuel. And he's like, well, if you don't give me fuel, I'm going to kill some passengers. And he's like, oh, how do I know that if I don't give you fuel, you'll you'll kill him anyway. He's like, hey man, as soon as the fuel begins to flow, I'll release half the passengers. You will be responsible for saving a hundred lives all by yourself. And then this cop is like, okay. And then when he hangs up the phone, the other cop's like, the fuck are you doing, man? And the guy's like, didn't you hear him? I'm going to be a hero. Like he, yeah. he bought into it so easily. But, oh, no, but first of all, when he gets off the phone, Rain goes, check and mate, which you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Check and mate. <laughs> but then after that, they're like, Chief, shouldn't we wait for the FBI? And he's like, no, I'm in charge. I'm going to be here. Like that guy said. And you're like, oh, shit. That's not overconfidence. He was correct. He did checkmate this dumbass cop. Yeah, this fucking moron. Like, yeah, he even uses the talking point given to him. He's like, I'm going to be responsible for the lives of 100 people. Let's see those federal agents do that. And it's like, you mean the ones who are trained to save everybody on that flight? Yeah, let's see them do that instead of you. He's dumb. The movie decides we've had it too easy and reveals a little something extra about Rain. He loves tricking people with explosions and murder to misdirect authorities as a means of escape. Should we be concerned? I'm not. This is the part of the movie where I'm going to go into autopilot. I just, it feels like the movie's trying. It's like, oh, but maybe it's not what it seems. Maybe he's going to trick. And it's like, just show me. And, and, you know, we'll, we'll get there when we get there at this point. I, I'm, I'm losing interest fast with this movie. Yeah. They kind of do something that drove us crazy in the movie, the rock, which is, uh, we have to learn about characters again. They're like, here's something you don't know about Charles rain. He's bad. It's like, no, we fucking know he's bad. <laughs> and it's like, no, you don't get it. He's like smart, bad. And we're like, no, he, yeah, we get it. He sounds like Winchester from mash. No, he's smart. <laughs> we, we understand. Are these cops racist? Absolutely. 
is Cutter doing himself uh, a favor? No, he's, he's doing himself no favors because at no point is he like, hey, I will calmly explain. And then Biggs is like, put yourself in my place, Mr. Cutter. What would you do if you were me? And then Cutter, instead of saying, hey, call International Airlines, Sal Vecchio is the president, ask him who his recently hired head of security is, it's me. Instead, he goes, kill myself, which meaning that the cop Biggs should kill himself. Yeah. Which again, look, I get it. You're a badass. I get it. These cops suck. But you're also, uh, there's people's lives on the line here. Like beat them up afterwards. You know what I mean? Just, I don't know. Well, you know what? I, I, I'm going to do some punch up in the moment instead of saving this for later because it's just a real quick scene. But it you could go one way or the other with this. You can go the one way where Cutter calmly explains it. He's the voice of reason. He's going to talk over these these dimwits and, and get the job done. Or, so let's go back to the leather jacket that he's wearing that he puts on before he jumps out of the plane. Because, you know, you want to put layers on so that when you roll, you know, you won't hurt yourself. That's Because he's rolling out of a moving plane. He's rolling out of a moving plane. It would have been a cute moment if he's getting frisked and someone pulls a wallet out of that leather jacket and it's like, this isn't your leather jacket. And he's like, well, okay, yeah, I know this looks bad, but I promise you, I am the head of security. Like, just something like that to where you're impeding the progress of Wesley Snipes. Like, at every turn, he keeps, you know, there's a roadblock put in place that is going to frustrate you as an audience member. Like, there's so many opportunities to do something like that, and this movie doesn't do that. Here's the problem with John Cutter as a character. He takes everybody seriously. He takes Charles Rain seriously, even though he's a cartoon character, and he takes this cop seriously. Because when this dumb cop is saying, put yourself in my place, Mr. Cutter, what would you do if you were me? He's not challenging Cutter. He's legit asking him. He's like, tell me what to do. I don't know anything. I'm stupid. And so instead of being like, listen, dummy, check on it. Check out my story to see if it checks out. Instead, he's like, I kill myself. He's like, oh, wow. And then uh, he's off in uh, Foghorn Leghorn mode or whatever. So while this is happening, Rain calls again and says, oh, by the way, Cutter is one of my guys. So feel free to beat him about the face and ribs. I won't mind. Uh, Rain also releases some hostages as promised, but Forger kills one of the passengers and causes a passenger stampede. Rain and Vincent and a third guy use the diversion to make their escape. So yes, even though he says this in the like, Oh, by the way, I clearly am up to something. Does the world's most manipulated cop pick up on this? No, he's manipulated. So how does, I don't know if it's here a little earlier, but Biggs, he's a small town. What is the name of this place? Lake Lucille. He's a, the Lake Lucille police department, right? He doesn't deal with hijacked planes. And so he, he turns to the, the mom of the mom and pop who own this mom and pop airstrip. And he's like, Hey, hey uh, granny or whatever her name is. <laughs> I don't think it's granny. <laughs> He says, hey, Granny, why don't you make me one of your special coffees? And you're like, oh, okay. Irish it up a little bit. And he's like, add a couple extra buffering. And it's like, oh, so his her special coffees is just she puts like Tylenol in it or whatever. But also buffering, David. Do you remember buffering? Uh, sure. What, do you remember buffering's tagline? Oh, God. that's It's not Little Yellow Different. That's going to be Nuprin. Oh, it is Nuprin. Who the fuck is buffering? How? Wait, is buffering still around? I don't think so. Oh, according to the internet, I uh, I could buy some Buffering. Ooh, that has Japanese text on that box. <laughs> Buffering? Did they pay to be in this movie? Well, here's my point. I've not heard of Buffering in years. So at first I was like, put some Buffering in it. What does that mean? And I was like, oh, right, that was the painkiller. After a daring escape where Cutter easily overpowers some local sheriffs, he steals a motorcycle and goes on a thrilling pursuit to the fairground. We also catch up with our international masterminds trying to steal a Ford Bronco. We also meet FBI agent Henderson, played by Robert Hooks. Surely there's a reason. So David, after Cutter escapes and 
I don't know if he's arriving at the fair or at some moment a cop is trying to slow him down. He's like, hey, now, hey, well, hold on a second. And so Cutter, he's pretty frustrated with the cops at this point, right? He's trying to solve a terrorist and these racist cops are too busy being racist cops. So he's got no time to try to explain who he is and what he's doing to this dumb Lake Lucille police officer. And so what he does is he gives this guy a jumping roundhouse kick. And <laughs> I did not see that coming. I laughed out loud as my third markout moment. Hey, hold on a second. And then some dude jumps in the air, does a 360 spin and paintbrushes my face with his foot. I would just be like, what the? It just was unexpected. And I loved it. I was looking at the notes. and I was like, what the hell's going to be a markout moment in here? But yeah, that makes sense. I get that. Uh, didn't quite mark out. You know, this is going to be more action. You know, he's hopping on a motorcycle. Hell yeah, let's go. And then that's pretty much it. He just hops on a motorcycle and he goes. At some point, when the FBI gets there, they're like surveying the scene. And there's this awesome shot of the FBI agent Hooks. He's up in the I don't know, air traffic control tower or whatever of this mom and pop airport. And they look out at the airplane down below. And the FBI agent Dwight Henderson says, I'm going to need a concise report on the status of this operation, chief. And they look out and there's people streaming from this hijacked airplane. No one is down on the ground being like, get here, get to safety. They are not managing this situation at all. It's just, it's comic at this point. <laughs> like the idea of being like, hey, we should go out there and help those people and be like, yeah, you first. And the other guy's like, ah, I got guns, man. I ain't doing that. Like it's just real Uvalde police move here on these guys. <laughs> Uh, the Jeez. fact that they're like completely unwilling to go out and actually help people. Insane. Like you're watching this and you're like, what the, f this is not how anything works movie. God damn it. So Cutter tries to blend in at the fair by holding a box of popcorn. Meanwhile, that third guy that we never bothered to get to know, he's in mild pursuit. There's a showdown at a stock show where glasses kills a clown and then rain eats some kids popcorn in a very creepy move. Then there's also a Ferris wheel pursuit and then another one around a merry-go-round. What are we doing here, folks? I I'm not quite sure. So Glasses, he's the uh, terrorist member of the crew who is reading the magazine. Oh, wait, is he the... Who Who does Wesley Snipes kill on the merry-go-round? There's another guy, right? Somebody, I guess, yeah. Yeah, look, here's the secret to bad guys. You give them each, like, you basically recreate the cast of Street Fighter 2. Each bad guy <laughs> needs to stand out in some dumb visual way. And uh, I don't think this guy did, because obviously we cannot, we're, bl we're both blanking on it. But then, yeah, they're on the Ferris wheel, and Glasses falls to his death. And again, this is a real PG-13 death, because he falls, and we just cut to him on the ground dead. But there's a satisfying moment before that where Cutter kind of gets the drop on Glasses, because they're climbing, he's, you know, he's climbing up the Ferris wheel, and, and Glasses is pursuing. And so Glasses kind of loses him. And so Cutter from above goes, hey. And so Glasses looks up, he kicks him in the face, and, and uh, Glasses falls off. And watching the movie, I'm like, hey, man, why even say hey? Like, just kick him in the face, and then he dies. But then I'm realizing, you know what? If that was me, I'd absolutely say hey. How satisfying would it be to, like, watch some schlub look and be like, huh? And then you kick him in the face to his death. I get it now, movie. So <laughs> we cut back to the air traffic control room, and Big says, all we can do is sit and wait till we hear from them or our men in the field. Hope that Cutter fellow was telling the truth. And the FBI agent goes, Cutter? Yeah. John Cutter? Which, I'm sorry, is there only one dude named Cutter on the planet? And you'd be like, okay, Mac, well, maybe Sly Del Vecchio briefed him that John Cutter was on the flight. Okay, well, that'd be the first time in this movie someone did something they were supposed to fucking do. So I'm not going to I'm not going to give this movie the benefit of the doubt at this point. But overall, you know, you've got the Ferris wheel, you've got the merry-go-round. 
And like, there's even moves. There's like one move in particular where Wesley Snipes kind of like wraps his arms around a pole and then sort of spins around to sort of to elude somebody. This scene has all the action of a kid playing pretend. It's like, and then I'm on the Ferris wheel, and no, I got, and then I'm going to get on the merry go and This could have been thought out some more, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Look, do I love it when a terrorist accidentally shoots a clown? Of course I do, David. I'm human, right? I got two eyes and a heart, don't I? But so he's going, he being Cutter, right? He, he's, you know, they're, they're, they're in pursuit around this fair, and they go into a tent where there's a bunch of livestock. But right in the center pin, where livestock is usually pinned up. Instead, there's children square dancing. Mm-hmm. Why are they square dancing in a pen? Again, I don't even think these people checked out how rodeos or fairs worked. You know what I mean? But David, also, if, if you look around the Lake Lucille County Fair here or whatever it is, there's a lot of corporate sponsors. Pepsi, they have a giant inflatable Pepsi can. I'd see an inflatable Bud Man at some point. There's another I, There's another corporation, I don't remember who they are, but it's like, whoa, this... They got a lot of like uh, a lot of corporate baggage for this uh, Lucille County <laughs> Fair. It's almost like it's uh, being filmed for a movie, but you don't know. Yeah. Wow. Lockheed Martin is sponsoring this fair. That's great. Oh my goodness. Voss Water uh, loves the <laughs> Lake Lucille County Fair. So the the FBI arrive to arrest Rain, but Cutter informs them that Vincent is still on the loose. Not Vincent. Got to go get him. Wait, Vincent, the guy with the creepy face who Cutter beat up inside the airplane in a knife fight. He's still alive. Yes, the guy that Cutter tied up and even like punched him unconscious. Yeah, he's he's still around. Wow. Okay. So Cutter meets Henderson. Sly arrives, and Rain reveals that he better be set free, or his colleagues have orders to start killing passengers. Henderson and Cutter go over their plan to let Rain back on the plane and to make sure it's done in vain. Oh. Oh yes, of course. Then it's Cutter versus Rain, round two. Cutter threatens to rip off Rain's nuts. And Rain tries to monologue his way out of this, but Rain, what are you doing? So they're like, you know what we need to do to make sure that we bust Rain and also stop his crew inside the plane from killing more passengers? We have to get Rain back on the plane. We got to make it seem like it's his idea. And the FBI agent goes like, I'll go negotiate with them. And then Cutter's like, no, it's got to be me. I'll do it. And here we now have a a scene, a a tete-a-tete, is that how you pronounce it? I don't know. Between uh, Cutter and Rain. And David, this scene... Oh, no, David, I loved it. Oh, no. Oh, no, I loved it, David. (laughs) I loved it. Wesley Snipes is taking this super seriously, but he does not know that he is squaring off in the scene against a cartoon character. It really is like Will Ferrell is playing like a psycho. And the fact that he's like, the the dialogue going back and forth, this scene is so bad it's good. I I hate to use that phrase, but I, I legitimately was like, this is ridiculous. I love it. I think if the movie had established a sense of ridiculousness earlier, I think I would have been right there with you. But for me, it's just, it's infuriating because it's its one of those things in, in a movie where go all the way back to him with his attorney, where there's a moment where he like bangs the attorney's head on the table. He's like, you listen to me or whatever. And if I'm that attorney, I'm like, hey man, go fuck yourself. Like, I'm not scared of you. This movie gives me no reason to be scared of this guy. So this is another one of those moments where, like, he even says to to Cutter at one point where, you know, Cutter's getting emotional. And and Rain says, oh, those are your emotions acting without the benefit of intellect. And, man, if he says that to me, oops, Charles Rain just shot himself eight times in the back of the head. I don't, I don't know what happened. Cutter says, my instincts are to wax your ass all over this floor. But, David, listen to this dialogue. Hold on here. Please, by all means. Rain says, you and I both know I will never see the inside of a prison. The notion of good over evil will not allow you to sit idly by and watch the needless death of your fellow citizens. You know, Rain, you got a good point. Maybe I should just kill you right here. 
you wouldn't take advantage of a helpless man, would you? Or he goes, it's never stopped you. Ah, the American way, isn't it, brother? You should know you're used to being taken advantage of. What the fuck? Like, uh, first of all, there's like good and evil. And then he's like, let's do some racial commentary. It's just, it's so all over the goddamn map that I'm like doing the thing where I'm like looking away from the TV as if like someone else in the room is going to like be there being like, I don't, I don't know. It was so terrible that I was like, oh, hold on. I'm enraptured. I'm enraptured by this. Enraptured? Is that even the right word? Yeah, you got taken away and you left your clothes behind. Yeah, I came back for him though. Heaven sucks. That's what they don't want to tell you in that Bible book. That place is a snooze. The big handoff is on. Put Rain back on the plane and send the passengers back to Maine. I don't think they're going to Maine. A sniper has their sights on Rain. But wait, it's Vincent. Vincent's a sniper. I guess Vincent managed to chloroform every sniper on the channel and takes the only shots, killing the surrounding agents and setting Rain free. There is a shootout and a stair car explodes, but like really explodes. Cutter kills Vincent and makes an 11th hour attempt to bond with Biggs before sneaking himself back onto the plane. (laughs) Big action sequence on this one. Yes, David, I'll be honest with you. I did not know I was a big fan of seeing a stair car explode, even though, yes, it exploded as if the stairs were made out of dynamite. But I got to say, after seeing it explode, I was like, I wrote down my notes. Cool. Yes, it is noticeably awesome. It is one of the more awesome action things in this movie, watching that stair car explode. Wesley Snipes is carrying this movie. I know uh, Liz Hurley is in it as well. But there's a scene here where they're 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 about to you know start this operation, right? Like they're you know the snipers, everyone's got their guns out, we're all ready to go. Rain's being taken back up the airplane for ostensibly a, a trap. And Cutter grabs the mic or the radio or whatever, and he says, "No one does anything until I say go." Here's the thing about Wesley Snipes, man, is that he can pull off that line. Imagine like Schwarzenegger at 30 years old, or Stallone at 30 years old. I think, you know, if, if one of those bruisers was in there and he was like, you know, no one does anything until I say go, it would be more like I'm in control or I'm in command. Not that like I'm leading these people. I don't know, man. Snipes has got it. Uh, it it's, it's a shame that his career got derailed by various things or that maybe some of those things were scripts. I'm a Snipes stan uh, at this point, I got to say. I, I am too. Not in this movie particularly because this movie kind of handcuffs him a little bit like i think there is a natural charisma to wesley snipes and i think you're absolutely right like there is an aspect of him and his personality that absolutely carries that line and and you know it makes sense that he would be a a leader of men this movie doesn't do him any favors the script doesn't do him any favors it doesn't allow him to really showcase what makes him a movie star so i i I hear what you're saying but i'm not quite matching the sentiment i mean yeah it's, it's a testament to wesley snipes that i got that feeling in this terrible movie i mean we talked a little bit before we started recording and i compared it to like a star because uh, i'm a hoops guy like a star basketball player in a terrible team you know it's like it doesn't matter that damian lillard has been just insane sometimes for the trailblazers when they can't make it out of the what second round of the playoffs right it's, it's the championship still says zero. like if this movie sucks it doesn't matter if Wesley Snipes was great in it. However, it did because this movie launched his action career. But I mean, in terms of the mountain, man, right, that's I what I'm you. talking about. But I'll tell you what, you know, this movie is 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 coming on late. Like, I, I there's a lot of pieces in this, you know, sequence and in this third act, really, that if they had just presented them earlier in the movie, it would have made the movie feel a little weightier. It would have made it feel a little more action-y. You know, there's some, there's some impressive stunts with the shootout. When Vincent falls down the stairs... He manages to fall down. I don't think I've ever seen a stunt person do this, but fall down the stairs without like ever getting his neck in any danger. Like his head stays afloat the entire fall down. It's actually quite impressive. And then there's the stunt 
where Cutter gets back on the plane and it's, you know, you, you mount the camera on the car and you, you watch him get out the window. He even has a little moment where he slips and you, you, you worry about him in peril. That's an impressive stunt. That's an impressive sequence. But we're almost to the end of the movie. If that was the cold open of this movie, if that was the way we get on the plane or start this movie... I'm having a different impression of this movie entirely, but it feels a, like too much too late. Yeah, just the fact that the bad guy, after landing, manages to get back on the plane and take off again, like he eludes capture, that's kind of amazing for a bad guy to pull that off. But we don't care because I also don't know what he wants. Like, if he's just trying to escape, why do you have to escape on a plane? Like, why couldn't you just, uh, he'd already pretty much made his escape on the fairgrounds. He could have easily just like put on a ball cap and like disappeared or something like that. I don't know. Maybe they would have done a manhunt, but I don't, I'm not really too confident the Lake Lucille police would have been able to pull out that dragnet, pull off that dragnet, excuse me. But David, there's a, there's a line here where he gets back on the plane and, you know, it could have been just like a, a real gut punch line. So Rain gets on the airplane's PA and he goes, I hope you enjoyed your stopover. We'll now continue with the remainder of the flight. And it's like, oh, God damn it, we're trapped. But then he goes, if you don't want to wear your seatbelts, you don't have to, which again is like, what is he running for uh, school class president? <laughs> hey guys, I'm going to put Dr. Pepper in all the fountains and uh, no school on Tuesdays. Like, whoa. Like, it would have been so funny if they cut to one of the pastors and they're like, whoa, this guy is pretty cool or something like that. I hate these fucking seatbelts. Like a, a silent fist bump. Like, all oh, right. Maybe just someone else enjoying. The, I don't know, but they didn't do it. However, more evidence that Biggs is the world's most easily manipulated cop. Cutter jumps in the car with Biggs, Sheriff Biggs. And he says, what are we going to do when we catch it? And Cutter says, you'll watch me sneak on the plane. Biggs is like, oh, I knew you were crazier than a June bug. And then Cutter says, look, chief, I thought all you country biscuiting boys knew how to drive. Was that a bunch of bullshit or what? And then again, taking the bait like a bait hungry son of a bitch, he goes, I ain't had a challenge like that since high school. Here we go. Like, <laughs> I enjoyed that part a lot. That was probably the closest I came to a mark out moment. Just finally seeing... Finally seeing Cutter have a moment with somebody, even if it is the racist cop, but it's like, I know you've got personality in there. So to see it in this instance, I, w I was very happy with it. But then Cutter says, I didn't know you went to high school. Shut up, Cutter. Like, wait, you're, <laughs> you're ahead, man. Just, uh, there's the there's the end zone. Cross it. Don't, no need to high, high step in the other direction for a while or whatever. So meanwhile, back on the plane, Rain pads his resume of evil by sexually harassing Marty. Meanwhile, Cutter fights Forget in the galley, who, to their credit, they use objects in their environment. That's a good fight scene. I love it. Cutter makes his way to the cockpit eventually, where he instructs the flight crew to turn around. We're going back to Louisiana, folks. Yeah, there's 12 minutes left in this fucking movie, and yet the movie decides that we are not creeped out enough. So they make a hard sexual monster turn here for Rain. He's like, give me a drink. And Marty's like, what do you want? And he goes like, anything wet. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> and he's like, you know, when you were down in the galley, surely maybe you and uh, Cutter fucked or something. And maybe we'll fuck. I don't know what he says. But she goes, I'd rather die first. And then Rain says, oh, I'll kill you during. Hold on here. First of all, ugh, to all of this, like, oh, gross. But David, if you were writing a character, an evil character, and you gave them a line like, you got to kill me first. And he would say, I'll kill you during. That's fucking terrible. But if your point is to write a terrible thing for someone to say, this line's fucking great. <laughs> yes, you nailed it. A plus in being horrible. It's such a creepy, like, I'm going to rape and murder you line. Look, in this movie, did it feel forced in and creepy? A hundred percent. 
However, I I will give you like again. Did you try to write a creepy line, brother? You succeeded. If this had come earlier in the movie, if he is hitting on Marty, making her uncomfortable from the time he takes over the plane, this makes more sense. But right now, you're trying to board, and we've already closed the gate. Like we've already made up our mind about Rain, how we're gonna feel. There's ten minutes left. Just let us land this stupid thing. You don't need to add this. Yeah. Except except to create tension between Rain and Sabrina, who again, Liz Hurley acting her little heart out on this one, even with like a hair toss, because she's so turned off by Rain flirting. She's just like, oh, rolls her eyes, flips her hair and walks away. Even that doesn't pay off. Like a conventional script, not to saddle this thing with convention, that would plant a seed in Sabrina to betray Rain or something like that, or to take this thing over, you know, have it pay off. But really you're just showing Rain being shitty for the sake of being shitty, and we've already had 70 minutes with that. Yeah, we did not need another reason to hate this dude, and especially if that reason is like, oh, good, I get to enjoy the tension of uh, sexual assault, whether or not that's going to happen. Boo! So Cutter uh, fights Forget, right? And uh, it is, we finally realize the pun in his name because it's a fucking forgettable fight. (laughs) Because, you know, like, we could have had Forget be like, oh, I got some military training, or he could have, like, taking out somebody else earlier in the movie with some skills, but he, uh, it's a pretty easy beat down for a cutter. And then after that fight scene, cutter makes his way to the cockpit where he like pops up from a little door in the, uh, underneath the cockpit floor. Yeah. He pops in and startles the flight crew and they're like, who are you? Cutter, John cutter. And I'm like, don't you even dare passenger 57. If this is, if this is a movie that had earned that, if those, you know, cause Going back a few weeks to Pitch Black and Vin Diesel and the efforts to try to make that a Vin Diesel vehicle, this also feels like they took a Clint Eastwood script or a Sylvester Stallone script, crossed out a few names, and tried to make this a Wesley Snipes vehicle. So it feels like the producers or the marketers are like, there's a new James Bond in town, and it's John Cutter. And it's like, no, you don't get to do that with this movie. They could have, though. We could have easily seen like Glass Onion, a uh, Passenger 57 mystery or whatever. But yeah, uh, he orders the people, the people, the pilots to fly, uh, turn the plane around and fly home. Bursting into the cockpit, it's Sabrina, played by Liz Hurley. She's like, why did you turn the plane around? And the pilots go, we were ordered to. And she goes, by whom? Which, oof, that she hits that M. How very British. John Cutter says, by me. He hits, uh, and he knocks out Sabrina. And then as she's unconscious on the ground, uh, Cutter goes, what a waste. David, what the fuck did he mean by that? That is a line for somebody with more personality. And then again, that's not a knock on Wesley Snipes. But if it is someone who has been smart alecky throughout the movie and has been making wisecracks, that fits perfectly. If he just kind of mutters under his breath, man, that's a waste of a Liz Hurley. It doesn't fit with this. And so, yeah, you do kind of get the result of like, Whoa, what, are you, what are you saying, John Cutter? He's like, it's a shame that hottie was bad, right? That's what he meant? Yes, yes. that's exactly what that means. <laughs> it is a shame. <laughs> In another life. But here's the thing, David. This is a man who, after the death of his wife, Lisa, he could never be horny again. Is he home jerking off? No, he's meditating and doing boxing drills while, uh, you know, uh, going over uh, replaying his wife's death in his head. So the fact that Horny Cutter is reemerging here, this he's, he's gearing up for the, the final denouement. One more thing, though, before we move on to the final chunk. The whole plan is turn this plane around, because what's Rain going to do about it? Rain can't fly this thing. And if we've learned anything from action movies so far... If you are a psycho, if you are a terrorist, if you are a bad guy, if you are a no-good Nick, and you cannot fly your own plane, you stink. You shouldn't be in this line of work. So when he, Cutter, is leaving the cockpit, he gives uh, a gun to one of the pilots. And one of the, the pilot goes, hey, need any help? 
And Cutter's like, no, I got this, man. And he says something that basically is like, this is going to be an easy beatdown. <laughs> like, I got to do this one myself. But also, need any help? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> that pilot at that point has been like, oh, you know what? I think I might live. I'm thinking I might get a book deal out of this. What's a better ending for the book than if I also became like a hero? It was basically like, uh, hey, I see that ball is on the uh, one-yard line. Need any help punching it in? It's like, where the <laughs> fuck are you? Get the fuck out of here. Just, I don't know. But this is going to be Cutter versus Rain, round three. Cutter distracts Rain with the old body in the elevator bit because uh, he sends Forge up the up the galley elevator. And Rain shoots a hole in one of the plane's windows in an unrelated fight. There's an okay fight in the aisles as the plane violently depressurizes, right? That's what's going on there? I don't know how planes work and neither does this movie. You got it. Uh, and that's going to blow the door off the plane. Uh, Cutter, like any cool action hero, continues to hit his opponent in the nuts, eventually knocking Rain out of the plane to fall to the ground and leave a rain stain. David Wesley Snipes uh, showing some moves in this action scene. He has some really sweet kicks where he's kind of like propping himself up on the tops of the seats and like kicking over them. So there was definitely some some cool moves in this fight. My problem with this fight, it would be like if Die Hard ended with a fight between, like a physical fight between Hans Gruber and John McClane. Hans Gruber has not set himself up to be a physical threat and neither has Charles Rain. I mean, Charles Rain, he's a, you know, a rat will chew off his own leg. He'll do anything to survive, including jumping out of a third story window. You know, maybe just set up something like where he takes someone down or instead of having that weird, like, oh, you know, the deal with Charles Rain, like he's actually a, a highest rating uh, judo enthusiast or whatever. Like just, you know, something to set him up as a uh, more of a threat or just like you never had the feeling that, that uh, Rain has the upper hand. And you know what also would have solved it if like Rain was like choking not to jump into a uh, a punch up here this early. But if, if at some point Rain was was choking Cutter, Rain sensing the upper hand had said something like smarmy like, uh, well, Cutter, you're about to be passenger DOA or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Basically to say like, I'm confident of a victory here, but we never got anything like that. You know, the few moments where Rain did have the upper hand, it just felt like, Cutter, what are you doing? <laughs> like, her finish this fucking thing up already. Yeah, it was really just more like a formality to finish this thing. You don't even get an opportunity for Rain to be a weasel, you know, where he's like, oh, there's no way I could beat Cutter, but I can beat Marty, you know, that kind of thing. And he drags her over, that kind of thing. Or, you know, he he tries to make himself a bully to somebody. He tries to feel like a big man to somebody. But you don't even get that. You just get kind of an unbelievable fight between this federal agent and this psycho. But also they did lay some groundwork for physical advantage to rain because when he's about to get surgery five minutes into this movie, he's like, there will be no pain. So I was like, Oh, okay. Maybe this dude doesn't feel pain. Uh, when cutters kicking him in the nuts. Yeah. Rain feels it the, again. <laughs> that line at the beginning just, it just makes it even dumber. Cutter successfully kicks rain out of the airplane. Again, I was like, I will give you a million fucking dollars for a kill line. But instead, he has like this weird like look on his face, like, <sighs> like just someone who's supremely tired. And you know what it is? It was a realistic look because at this moment, it's like relief that like this nightmare is over. But no, you can't give. <laughs> you have to be a hero staring off in the middle distance, like pondering, like God, why is evil so committed to these uh, this terrible path it's on and. Will good ever truly triumph? Like these emotions are going through his head, but no, he's just like, God, this sucks. Like was the look on his face, <laughs> which again, that is a realistic reaction to it, but we're not in a realistic movie, Wesley Snipes. No, if you're going to do that, you might as well have like an adrenaline cry where it just like rain falls out the door. He's like, oh God, yeah. like, it falls apart. Go full on Captain Phillips with it. They're like cutting off your clothes and you're just crying. But then so Cutter saves the day, rain falls out of 
the plane and he gets his hero's welcome by everybody in the plane. And who's leading the charge on that? It's going to be the granny. And she starts the Arsenio Hall dog pound. Somebody's got to tell this old lady because it's not like everybody on this plane is fooled. Like someone's got to know this at this point, it's cruel to let this poor lady with dementia think that that's our, that she flew on a plane with hero Arsenio Hall. Again, in a different movie, that would have been like, oh my God, they're doing the Arsenio celebration. She thinks it's Arsenio. That would have been a perfect joke, but that is not this movie, David. But as he's leaving, Del Vecchio's like, hey, where's, uh, where did uh, Cutter get off to? Where is Cutter? Oh, he's talking up the stewardess. David, he can love again. Yay. That's what this movie's about. Love. That was his character the whole time. Love. Is it? I, yeah, it must be. You know, he meets up with Del Vecchio. He meets up with Biggs and everybody. They're all kind of, you know, doing a postmortem on this one. Do they know that Rain is dead? Like, is it ever communicated to them that, hey, there's a splatter about a few miles outside of town you might want to scrape up? They do know Rain is dead, David, because FBI agent Henderson says, Cutter, this is Henderson. Have you disabled Rain yet? And on the radio in the room, it's like Henderson and I think Del Vecchio and definitely Biggs. And he, Cutter goes, you damn Skippy. And everyone laughs. They love it. Including Biggs, who says, all right, Cutter boy. Oof, hate that fucking boy right there. (laughs) Fucking hate it. And then Cutter goes, hey, Biggs, how you doing? Is this you? And he goes, in the flesh. And the Cutter says, that's a revolting thought. Biggs, right? What what have I said about him, David, this whole movie? Uh, He's easily manipulatable. Yeah, so the fact that this guy was like, the Cutter was like, hey, your flesh is disgusting. But everyone else in the room starts laughing. And so Biggs was like, oh, 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 like he's another joke too. Because at that moment, he doesn't know how to react. But if everyone else is laughing, he's going to laugh too. Stupid to the end. Stupid till the end. That's how you watch race relations happen. It was like, all right, the black guy can make fun of me. Yeah, but seriously, DeVecchio was like, uh, you know, after he he meets Cutter in person after getting off the plane, Cutter's like, uh, I want to raise. And he's like, done, which I don't think you could do that. that I mean, I don't know what he's getting paid previously, but I don't know if you could say that. But then also they're bragging to the press that their counterterrorism program, meaning Cutter, was an extraordinary success. Excuse me? Like, yeah, Cutter's a hero, but I wouldn't say how many people died. It was double digits, I'm pretty sure. And also they set this up earlier in one of the scenes that they actually use Bruce Greenwood where he's being briefed on the situation with the hijacking. And he's like, all right. Don't tell anybody that Cutter is on that plane unless it goes well. Then we could say it works, that sort of thing. So, like, I don't know. I kind of wish there was a moment where Cutter was like, take this job and shove it. You know, if you're going to use me like that or something like that, I don't know. There's, I feel like I'm doing this with every scene in this movie where it's like, ah, I wish they'd have done this instead of that. But uh, it certainly would have made a more entertaining movie in my estimation. Yep. So Cutter and Marty, they're walking off to, into the sunset. But up in uh, his cop car rolls up Biggs. So Biggs offers to give him a lift. He's like, hey, you going anywhere? And Cutter's like, no, thank you, white man. And so Biggs is like, well, it's five miles to town. And Cutter's like, no, we'll walk. Hey, man, I understand pride and stuff like that, but it's 1992. What is the plan? You're five miles from anywhere? How are you getting home? Here's my, I mean, that is stupid. <laughs> You're not wrong about that. But here's my problem with this scene. He's like, y'all riding or walking? And they're like, we're walking. Like, we're not getting in the car with you, fucking Biggs. Big says, Cutter, you didn't happen to see my wife's gun, did you? Which I don't even get that fucking reference. I guess he took his gun. Yeah, Cutter needed wanted a, a gun when he got back on the plane. So when he's jumping on the plane and hanging onto the wheel, the first thing he does is lose that gun, which should have been a funny moment, but it just did not resonate with me. And so everyone laughs, and then Biggs says, good night, Cutter. And then Cutter says, good night, Biggs. Here's the thing. 
Dutch Sheriff fucking sucks, okay? And he's probably a racist. And so uh, you can't, like, that's how it is, begrudgingly, uh, like, you know, we kind of get along with each other. No, it should be, like, seriously, like, hey, fuck you and fuck off, all right? Instead, they're like, hey, man, (laughs) what a crazy day together. I don't know. That seemed, again, just, like, kind of normalizing Biggs' terrible behavior in this movie. Or at least, you know, show some contrition. Like, have Biggs literally with hat in hand, you know, crunching it up, going, well, jeepers, I I, I guessed wrong on you, Cutter. And, you know, have a moment like that, but this just does not work. Yeah, I'm sorry I didn't believe you and people died because of it. Instead, he's like, hey, we're the same, right? (laughs) It's just, I don't know. But anyway, Biggs drives away. Cutter and Marty continue walking. Up come the credits, and that is the end of the movie. God, David, Passenger 57, finally coming in for a landing. David, how many markout moments did you have in this thing? I pitched a shutout on this one. I really wanted to have some fun, and just it, it, it didn't connect with me. What about you? I had three. Okay. Again, you know, markout moments are not necessarily tied to the quality of the film. They're just tied to the quality of those moments. But yeah, I had three moments where I was doing the Arsenio Hall fist pump or whatever in my bedroom, watching this on the TV. David, we got to ask the important question. Is this someone's favorite movie? If it's anybody's, I, uh, who played Marty? <laughs> the, uh, Alex Datcher. I, I'm going to say it's Alex Datcher's favorite movie. Other than that, I cannot imagine. I'm going to say no, probably. If you're a Wesley Snipes fan, White Man Can't Jump just came out. You're like probably still riding high on that. If you're a fan of Wesley Snipes' action, then no, there's many other favorite movies. So I mean, it might have been someone's favorite movie for like a little bit. I think the only small group of people and this is their favorite movie, are people who like Wesley Snipes, but those people are older dads. Sure. Because they're like, my favorite action hero is Wesley Snipes. It's like, oh, do you like Blade? And they're like, I don't go in for that sci-fi stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I just, there'll be like reasons for them not to be like, oh, uh, I love Schwarzenegger Commando. What about Terminator 2? I can't keep up with all that old uh travel or whatever. I don't know why this person is some sort of like old-fashioned shop owner who like is talking about sci-fi stuff. Murder at 1600 is more my speed. That's going to be my action. Again, that had a great line in the trailer, David. It's the address that broke all the rules. That's the very one. All right, David, time for punch-ups. Okay, David, we're the ultimate script doctors. Everybody knows that. How would you have punched up this movie? This this script did not do Wesley Snipes any favors, and by that I mean... No. The, the backstory they give... Cutter is that his wife is dead and he's mourning his wife and that colors every everything he does in his life and his career. But by doing that, you're making Wesley Snipes a sad, stoic, straight-laced character when he is one of the more charming movie stars of the 90s. I want to see a personality on this character. I want to see something more in the vein of John McClane. I want to see something a little more smart-alecky, a little more... I want to see Wesley Snipes having fun. There is such a difference between Wesley Snipes having fun in a movie and Wesley Snipes doing it for a job. And this one feels more like a job to me than him having fun. I don't know how you do it. I want to see him having fun. Yeah. Wesley Snipes having fun. That's the difference between Blade and uh, 1 and Blade 2. There you go. Yeah. My second punch-up. Congratulations, Liz Hurley. You're the villain of this movie. And I'm not saying that just out of Liz Hurley love, but she's the only person in this movie who I feel is making an effort. Like, this feels like, you know, roles don't come very often for Liz Hurley, so I'm going to I'm going to make this work. I'm going to every scene I'm in, I'm going to be acting. And it's that effort I I, I want to reward, you know, because she is for me at least the most captivating person on the screen. So she doesn't have to do a lot. Give her the same lines you gave Charles Rain who kind of fell flat. I I think there's 
there's some energy that can be created by putting engaging people in, in certain positions in this movie. And I think that's one of them. My third punch up, good news movie. You're now in episode of 24. This movie felt like the pilot of a TV show from the very beginning. I think let's keep it that. You know, this, this fits more as a TV show or, or better yet, keep this whole thing on the plane. Like it's called Passenger 57 and halfway through we're in a county fair. No, let's, this whole runtime should have just taken place on a plane. A game of cat and mouse, a game of really figuring out how to outsmart one another in this confined space. There's so much you could have done with this and it, it just felt like a wasted opportunity all the way around. There's a lot of punch-ups you could do, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Also, get back on the plane. You're headed for a sequel. Bastard 58, let's do it. I My number one punch-up here, obviously, it's pick a lane for rain. Nice. I mean, either he's a terrorist or he's a psycho killer. Just decide which one he is and then commit to that. I think making Liz Hurley a villain, especially if it's like a twist, if she ends up being like the head of the organization, that would have been really cool. But uh, I got to say, you got to fix Marty. I haven't watched Speed in a while, but I remember Sandra Bullock's character. We spent some time with her. We got to know her a little bit before she got on that bus that would, nah, slow down. I think, you know, Marty, like, let's learn about her in her own context, not in the context of Cutter. So, you know, when we, you know, by making her more of a full character, you got a real opportunity there for some uh, fun back and forth between her and Cutter instead of her just being like along for the ride. Also, where are the fucking kill lines? God damn it, David. Was I just in a fantasy world? Because when we talked about this podcast, I was like, oh, we might need a category like best kill line of the movie or whatever. But it's just radio silence. I'm sorry, David. If you go to the, a lot of effort, if it takes you uh, the entire course of a uh, movie to murder someone, they deserve a few well-placed cutting remarks to uh, mark their death. You know what I mean? I do. And and that's this goes back to the line of the movie. This goes back to Always Bet on Black. And we were talking about it prior to recording this, where my hope was that you're going into a movie that carries that same energy throughout the runtime. It is Wesley Snipes. He don't give a fuck about you. He's going to get results. And so I wanted some awesome kill lines. I wanted everything to have a kill line. And to get none of that, you 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 feel the waste of this movie by by wasting snipes, by wasting the villain, by wasting the premise. Uh, you feel it. So the dude named Forge, he's got this earring that's like a little tiny blue tag. It's bright blue. It's very noticeable. It almost looks like a little luggage tag. The fact that Cutter got into a fight with him and he did not rip off this earring and say something like, you know, check your bags or something like that, or like, his luggage is missing. A t- I don't know. Just a huge missed opportunity. But yeah, bring back the roulette line. Like maybe Rain thinks he has the upper hand and he's like, you know, choking out uh, Cutter. And he's like, you know, I'm more of a blackjack player. Cutter pulls out a gun he didn't see. And he's like, 21, bitch. And then like shoots him off the airplane. They would have, people would have uh, uh, been, uh, you know, that would have been a parade every screening just based on how happy people were coming out of that thing. Well, you're absolutely right. You know, going back to, you know, you got to figure the king of this of this mountain, of the catchphrase mountain is going to be yippee Kaye, motherfucker. And that comes along halfway through Die Hard, but then gets the callback you know, later in the movie. So it, it has that extra punch to it. We get Always Bet on Black, 30 minutes into the movie, 35 minutes into the movie, and then nothing else. So it just, it feels like it's on an island. It's it's this island of personality that we never revisit. We're just going to have to do Commando sooner rather than later because that movie really cares about its kill lines. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, good job, Jeff Loeb. Okay, David, so let's open up the door to the Punch Mound video store here. Step over those bodies. And this, of course, is an all-action movie video store, David. And we splurge. We got three copies of this thing. Because it's all action, uh, you got to pick the subsection for these things. So where, where would you stock this movie? 
Okay, I'm gonna knock two out really quickly. One's gonna be 90s action. This one is a very 90s action movie. The other one is going to be Die Hard on a Blank, which we've established a few episodes ago. This is very obviously Die Hard on a Blank. It's, it feels like that was the only thing that got the movie made. The third one, uh, is this a Wesley Snipes wall? Or does he have enough action to be represented? Or are we just kind of making his career more than it is? Do you know what I mean? I think Snipes gets a shelf, for sure. And I think that, I mean, yeah, Die Hard on a, a Blank would certainly work. I, I might even just have a shelf for just airplane action, because I know there's Air Force One and Executive Decision. But yeah, I mean, maybe you could even consider those Die Hards. Maybe those would be the Die Hard on a Plane triple pack. All right, David, here we go. Now it has come down to us. David, do you play roulette? On occasion. Always bet on Punch Mountain. Oh, boy, look at that. What a tagline. David, where on the mountain should this thing go? And just to remind people, we had a new number one as of last week, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, followed by The Raid, The Matrix, Prey, Hard Target, The Rock, Cliffhanger, The Driver, Pitch Black, Charlie's Angels 2019, Deadly Prey, Poseidon Adventure, and In the Basement of the Alamo, Chappie. If you're, if you'll allow me to bloviate a little bit, I, I, I kind of want to. Sure, let me look up that word first. And uh, oh my goodness, gross. Go ahead. So you know, you look at every movie on the mountain so far, whether they're, you know, whether they hit with us or whether they didn't. They all had something in common. They all felt like they had a reason to be made. Whether it was, oh, this script was was made for Nicolas Cage, or you know, this movie was made for this fight sequence, or you know, this performance, something like that. Every movie feels like it had a reason to get made. It feels like the only reason that Passenger 57 was made was to make 66 million domestic against a 15 million dollar budget. And like I don't have a problem with that. I'm I'm a huge fan of programmers. I think that these mid-budget movies are an opportunity for fun things to happen. Like Taken was a January release. John Wick was an April release. Like no one expected anything of those movies and they over-delivered because they had nobody watching them. You know, nobody was micromanaging them into being a success. So with that in mind, to make a programmer that's just kind of uninspired and wastes Wesley Snipes and wastes the premise and stuff like that, I'm going to put it below Chappie if it's up to me. I would put this at the bottom of the mountain um, because two litmus tests that I have for something like this. One, I, I would watch Chappie again before I'd watch Passenger 57. And also when I was doing the prep for this episode, when I was doing my show notes and stuff, you know I watched these movies two times. Generally, with this show, there's a law of diminishing returns where I'll watch a movie the first time, I like it. I watch it the second time and I like it a little more because I'm doing research. I'm getting to know this movie. I'm trying to fix this movie. Uh, I'm forming a bond with it. I did not form a bond with this movie. This is the first time that I did a second viewing and did not enjoy it. This is going to be the bottom of the mountain for me. I will rank this movie higher. And I, I hear what you're saying, David. I think there's one thing you're getting pretty wrong. Well, not wrong, but you know what I mean. You say this movie wastes Wesley Snipes. This movie was, whoever wrote it was like, it was like a Clint Eastwood movie. And at some point they offered it to Sly Stallone. And then when they turned it into a quote unquote black movie, thanks racist screenwriter, or problematic screenwriter, I don't know if you're falling racist. Yeah, probably are. It said that they considered Eddie Murphy and Denzel Washington for the role. So this movie did not waste Wesley Snipes. It gave us Wesley Snipes. This is the movie that turned Wesley Snipes into an action hero. It's not a... It's like kind of it, it is a breakout performance in this thing. It's like it it told us like oh shit, Wesley Snipes, this dramatic actor. I mean Eddie Murphy said like he can do it all. He can do comedy, drama, action, and drag. Talking about Tu Wong Fu. So I mean this is you know Wesley Snipes' breakout action movie. That being said, it's not a good movie, and I wish it had done better. And now it does have a very memorable line, but I don't think 
that line would excuse the uh, deficit of fun this movie provides. So I would rank it higher, but not too much higher. I'm with you there. I'll, I'll concede that to a point. I, I think operating under that premise, you're absolutely right. I, I'm not quite operating under that premise. I think at this point in the 90s, Wesley Snipes was inevitable. I think he was going to have an action vehicle at some point, and I think he was going to make it work. With that said, this isn't my flavor of Wesley Snipes. I really, he's so charming. He is, you know, he can pull off being a jokester, but also being the most feared man in the room. And and I think I think this movie doesn't use him to the full advantage. David, you're not, you're not going to, you're too humble to admit this, so I'm going to do it. You have a really sick Simon Phoenix tattoo from Demolition Man on your back. We've got to do Demolition Man. The mo- I mean, honestly, the, the end result of the, of watching this movie is it made me want to go on a Wesley Snipes run because I know he's got so many other movies. Demolition Man being an example. He's having so much fucking fun in that movie because he he, he gets to be Wesley Snipes. So, you know, I, I, I hear you on that one, but yeah. But the, my problem with Demolition Man getting ahead of it is like in that movie, he's just, oh, he's this month's Sylvester Stallone dude the heat takes down. So the fact that, that's the next level for him career-wise. It kind of sucks. But at the same time, he did make the most of that role. And I think he made the most of this one. I think he is memorable in this movie, even if this movie is not. Oh, my goodness, David. Well, the rocks are falling down. So a couple planes are crashing into the mountain. That's unfortunate. Jeez. The second plane has hit the mountain, David. Um, <laughs> and now we're seeing the golden letters revealing the position. And this movie is between Charlie's Angels 2019 and Deadly Prey. So the new... Definitive action movie rankings are Terminator 2, Judgment Day, Raid 2, The Matrix, Prey, Hard Target, The Rock, Cliffhanger, The Driver, Pitch Black, Charlie's Angels 2019, Passenger 57, Deadly Prey, Poseidon Adventure, and Chappie. And again, if you're like, why is Poseidon Adventure so low? It's their action movie. Listen to the last episode. This is a good list. You know, I, I, I do want to walk back some stuff a little bit. I don't want to bag on this movie. It was a perfectly fine movie. This was like... Actually, if I had a fifth copy to put in the video store, this would be a dollar theater movie. Like, it it kind of exists to be watched a little bit casually, I guess. Um, but no, I had a fun time with this movie. Yeah, it's just a little too stupid. I mean, it just, uh, it just didn't do its homework. Oh my goodness, David, do you hear that noise? Yeah, it's that plane. It's taking off. No, David, that's a horn that's calling us to action. On this podcast, we talk a lot about fictional action heroes, but we also want to talk about real heroes taking action for vulnerable, underserved, or underrepresented communities. This month, we're spotlighting The Trevor Project. The Trevor Project is the world's largest suicide prevention and mental health organization for LGBTQ young people, offering free 24-7 confidential crisis intervention services. After each episode this month, Punch Mountain will be making a small donation to The Trevor Project. And for every review we get on iTunes, We'll add $1 to that donation, you know, up to a certain amount in case any um, Lex Luthers out there think they've found our weakness. And hey, if it's a good review, we'll probably read it on air. For more information on The Trevor Project or to donate directly to them, visit trevorproject.org. And that's going to be Punch Mountain for this week, folks. Don't forget to add us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Punch Mountain or drop us a line at punchmountain at gmail.com. MacBlakeComedy.com is your source for Mac stand-up. Next week, no movie. We're just going to do a bit of a catch-up episode. Talk about the previous 11 movies that we've done and maybe uh, preview some stuff coming up. I don't know. It's going to be whatever the fuck we want to do. So until then, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.